Welcome to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our King, Jesus. Hello and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great morning this morning or if it's afternoon in your neck of the woods right now when you're listening. Hope your afternoon's going well. A couple announcements real quick and then I get to introduce you to a good buddy of mine. Look, Really looking forward to this conversation, but want to remind you of the Sons and Slaves Podcast. I'm talking rites of passage. I'm talking about raising sons into men and I've got two of my boys that are co-hosts with me. We got a third son on the way that'll be here in November and then here in about, I don't know, four or five years, he might start his voice might be popping up on that podcast. So you guys want to check that out. We'd love for you to go over there to iTunes and search or whatever uh, podcast platform that you use. What we're trying to do is put out a a weekly podcast. And right now we're going through a book by Bob Schultz called Boyhood and Beyond. And we're just getting our talking points chapter by chapter through this book. And we're having a lot of fun in the process. And so I am interviewing fathers talking to uh, other young men that are in this process of becoming a man, and we're just having a blast. I mean, my sons. So, if you want to check that out, please do. Let's go ahead and uh, introduce who I'm talking to today, and then we'll pray. And then we've got a lot of fun things to talk about. So, I am talking to my good buddy Jr. Burdick today. Jr., how's it going, man? Hey, it's going well, Jared. Thanks for having. Me. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will talk all things cow farming, dairy farming, life, and ministry, and who knows where it'll go. So, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for JR. I thank you for just the technology that can allow this conversation to happen. And God, we want to use it for your glory, for your honor. And we pray that everyone that listen in would be encouraged and challenged. God, I pray that our faith would be stretched. I pray that um, that we would be encouraged to, to do what you've called us to do in the manner you've called, it, called us to do it. Pray you'd help us to work hard um, and uh, and just take all these talking points and apply them. And I trust you're going to help us. And I uh, thank you for my friend and brother and uh, their family and all you're doing in and through them. And I just trust this is going to be a, a good conversation. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. JR, why don't you go ahead and introduce everybody and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you guys do. Sure. Uh, well, like you said, my name is J.R. Burdick. I live in north central Missouri. Uh, we're dairy farmers, and uh, we're going to get into just kind of where we're at right now and some things that have changed on our farm uh, as we go forward. But my wife and I have been married for 29 years, It'll be 30 years next summer. And uh, she's a farm girl from North Iowa. And uh, uh, we have four kids. Uh, they are all uh, out of school now. Uh, my oldest son is 28, and uh, then I have a Jeffrey. He's a diesel mechanic, and uh, uh, he does he works for a large farm machinery company, troubleshooting and doing stuff like that. Um, my second oldest son is Jared, and he lives out in Kansas. He's a welder. He's married to Grace, and they have two little girls, Mabel and Olive, and uh, then we have uh, Caitlin. Our daughter, who is married to uh, Mick, uh, they have one son, uh, little Bruce. He's my Brucey bear. He's five months old now. He's just a bundle of joy. And then uh, my youngest son is Jordan, and uh, he helps me on the farm. We're trying to get him started in farming, but he's also uh, studying to be a, he's an apprentice electrician right now. So, uh, we go to a, uh, a small little 1689 uh, Baptist church uh, in the next town, large town over from us. Uh, we help with uh, music there. Uh, for a while, I was leading means, men's ministry, but then life kind of got in my way and it stopped away from that, stepped away from that a little bit. Uh, we're really involved in uh, the abolition abortion here in Missouri and uh, uh, just enjoy the uh the life that God's given us and uh, continue to be amazed that he uses us and that uh, we still have so much to learn. That's awesome. A lot of good things. Now you raised your children in a home 
that was, if I remember right, because I was talking to you and your wife, it was, it was a Mennonite house, is that right, that was moved a couple miles to where your farm is today? Yes. What was that story? This this house that we live in was uh, part of a farm that was donated to the University of Missouri. The house was built in, uh, I don't have the exact, I think it was 1886 was when the house oh, really? was built. And it was built by uh, Colonel Corbett was his name. Everybody called him Colonel Corbett. He was a, a colonel in the Confederate Army. And uh, so uh, awesome. we... <laughs> we we live in this yeah so it's like we moved into it and god's put us on a journey and at first i was like i can't believe we're living in a confederate house and now i'm like i can't believe i'm living in a confederate house you know <laughs> so <laughs> well i was reading this book we got actually a couple books from we, we just went to st louis with our pastors and wives we went to a used bookstore and we picked up a couple books there and one was on um one was on general lee and it was like a meet general lee book from the 50s and this was read in public schools in the North and the South, apparently. And I was reading through it and it actually had a breakdown of the North and the South and Kentucky and Missouri were not actually listed as for the South. So I guess they were neutral states. Is that what that was? Yeah, that was part of the Missouri Compromise. And that was why you had, you know, the Jayhawks in Kansas were, and the Missouri okay. uh, rebels were fighting so much was because Kansas was a true republican or, or or northern state and missouri was like conflicted okay you know? so, so that was that was a lot of uh you know really neat history and kind of shows you know standing you know when you try to straddle the fence all you mm -hmm. get is a sore crotch and that yeah. was kind of where missouri <laughs> ended up well, i like that i've never heard that's a that's a farmer colloquialism right there yes. from missouri yeah. i like that it goes a little different than that but we'll we'll leave it that way <laughs> oh that's good Okay, so one other question. I know we might talk a little bit more about this on the back end, but I, since we're already talking about it, so you said Jordan is, it's funny you got a Jared and a Jordan, but mm -hmm. Jordan is already an apprentice electrician. How old did you say Jordan is? He's 20, and uh, he started working for this uh, local small uh, electrical company while he was still in high school. Uh, he's, uh, days run together now, years run together, but I think he was either 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was still in high school. We were still, you know, teaching him here at home. But we, a couple of days a week, he would go and uh, start learning, you know, just just being around it, you know. So start learning wire gauges. Start calling, you know, what's what's a TA, what's an FA, what's PVC, what's rigid pipe. He started to learn all that stuff, and uh, you know, he just kind of developed the fondness for it. And uh, so he's well on his way at 20 to be in a journey, having enough hours for his journeyman's electrician. Uh, mm -hmm. Man, that's awesome. Very cool. I mean, th this is something that, I mean, before we were recording, we just mentioned this, but to encourage our children in, in that direction, in that path, mm -hmm. you know, I go to campus here at SIU once a week and we're out there just doing one-on-one -on -one evangelism and all this. And I can't help but think about every one of these students that are going to be coming out of school and thinking about what they're student loan debt is going to be as they're walking out of school and thinking about what their degree is going to be. And mm -hmm. then this opportunity we have of, of, you know, homeschooling our children, they can start at 15 years old at the local, uh, and get a certificate at, at the, at the local college, get a certificate. And within a couple of years, start an apprenticeship at 17 years old, you mm -hmm. know, to be an electrician or, or something like that and start making, you know, 20 something dollars an hour, have benefits, have a pension going and everything like that as a 17, 18 year old. Mm -hmm. And how great of an opportunity that is. I just love what your kids are doing. And uh, it's just a, it's just a really cool thing. Now, the, the homeschooling has been in your blood. I mean, you did this. You said you were homeschooled when you were growing up. And you were homeschooled when it was at a cost to your parents. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was illegal then. Maybe it was. But, it was, yeah. Okay. So explain that. Why, why were they committed to that? And then you're somebody who didn't revolt against that. You wanted to do that for your children and your family as well. And so mm -hmm. props to your parents to make, you know, making that call back when it, it really cost them. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we had uh, always been in Christian schools and private schools. Um, the 80s farm crisis came along and uh, uh, it was really tough financially. And my mom was a teacher in the uh, in our our churches. Christian school. So she was an English teacher. She taught at that time, she was teaching a, a combined class of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. 
uh, you know, the traditional Abeka type uh, school curriculum. And uh, things were just getting tight, you know. And so I was in seventh grade. So I had been in school up till seventh grade. And one of my good buddies there, who was another farm kid, uh, he didn't go to our church, but his parents sent their kids to uh, to our church. And we had, he was, he was my best friend all through high school. Mm -hmm. And Joe got into a little trouble and he got kicked out of school, you know, being uh -huh. a Christian school. And uh, so his mom and dad started homeschooling. And I just thought that was, at first I thought, man, that's weird, you know, what's Joe doing? <laughs> and, right. and then then I'd go over and visit with Joe, you know, sleepovers and stuff, you know, you did when you were a kid. And uh, he's like doing all the schoolwork in the morning and then he gets to help dad all afternoon farming. Like, and I was cool. like, man, that's awesome. So actually I came to my mom and dad that summer, uh, summer of 1984. And I said, mom and dad, Joe's being homeschooled. Why can't I be homeschooled? I could help dad more. more. I could do this. And uh, I, I actually went to my dad and, and brought that forward to him. And he was mm -hmm. kind of like, I don't you know, whatever. You know, I, I know some things that are going on, but, you know, he was, dad's always been very politically aware and stuff. And then it was about two weeks and we were having breakfast one morning after morning chores, milked all the cows, fed all the cattle. And, and, we just had this family discussion about this. So it was me and my sister and my mom and dad and, and my mom, because she's a school teacher. Uh, and she's like, and my mom, wonderful lady. She's, she's gone. I'll look, look forward to seeing her in heaven soon, but, or at some point in time, mm -hmm. hopefully not soon. Um, <laughs> <Right>. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, she was just like, no, wait, we aren't. I'm Can't a school teacher. Yeah, this, that's that's for the weirdos. <laughs> and and I started praying about it. And I'm be honest, I started praying about it. My dad started praying about it. We didn't know each of us was praying about it. And uh, about three weeks later, my mom came. She goes, I just feel like we should do this. That's awesome. And so, uh, you know, that's like in June. And that fall, we start. And my mom's like, my mom and dad are like, okay, uh, the deep. We lived in Michigan at the time, so I, there's a long story. We aren't going to get into that day, how I ended up in Missouri, but Michigan was very hostile to homeschooling. Uh, mm -hmm. They had just just arrested the DeYoung family. Uh, that dad was in jail, and my mom was like, we're going to do this. We're going to end up in jail because mm -hmm. we were we were pretty well known, you know, in the community and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we started homeschooling. So. From 7.30 in the morning, we, we hurried up and got chores done, and I got in the house, and we didn't go anywhere. You didn't go to a doctor's office. You didn't go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. you know, Mom had an errand run. Mom ran the errand. So from 7.30 to 3.30, we stayed in the house. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knew what we were doing. And I can remember my dad coming, and uh, my sister is two years younger than me, and he said, if, if you know, we call it child protective, protective services. Now, uh, if they come to the door, I'm going to be at the door. And he told me where to run and where to hide. And what barn Man, and that's wild. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration. That's exactly <clears throat> what is going on there. And my mom and dad got very involved in uh, Michigan uh, homeschooling and the legal battles there. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Coleman and Alan Cropsey were the two, two attorneys that represented the DeYoung family. And I can remember them being in our home and sitting down and strategizing about how to fight the battle and win. And, and finally, in Michigan, I think it was 1988, we won the right to homeschool. Man, that's and, awesome. Uh, you know, so so I saw all that battles. And and that's that makes me kind of, as I look at homeschooling today, I kind of go, people do not understand what people sacrificed. Mm -hmm. Everybody just thinks it's normal. Yeah, but, I mean, man. I mean, we were, we were, I was truly concerned about going, my parents going to jail, but mm -hmm. they stood for it. And uh, we had, we had people in our church, you know, pulled out Romans 13. You guys are, you, it's on biblical. They wanted to take my dad and put him up for church discipline because oh my he was gosh. his kids. So yeah, it, dad happened to be on the chairman of the deacon board at the time. So it didn't get real <laughs> I didn't get too far. <laughs> I tell no, you what, was, the local Baptist church, that chairman of the deacon board, he's got power. Yeah. So, uh, so that was, so, so my wife now, she grew up in a public school environment. Uh, she went to a Christian school up until the sixth grade. And then again, the eighties farm economy, the mm -hmm. parents couldn't afford it anymore. So 
so she finished out her her education in the local public school and she just hated it and uh, so we get we get married and in fact before we got married I before we got engaged I told my wife I said we're gonna homeschool our kids mm-hmm. said, so if you're if you're okay with that you know we'll keep dating and <laughs> moving forward but if not you know now's a good time to not be doing this yeah. <laughs> love it yeah so we just uh we we just have always felt a strong calling to to homeschool our kids and yeah. uh enjoyed that just yeah. just yep well <clears throat> let's transition a little bit and let's talk about the uh steps of faith that really you've had to take over this last year and i'd love to hear about the farming farming and you know your life as a dairy farmer and then the difficulty of government tentacles getting down into everything and, and the subsidies that really that uh, brought you to almost like a crisis point and kind of put you in conflict with other farmers as well and ended up <clears throat> leading you to decisions that you guys have made to transition and, and into a different kind of of work still within the farming industry but doing you know your own sales now as well so i'd love to hear that and then also i'd like to hear about you know after you made this decision the whole tornado thing happens and mm-hmm. just annihilates your property. And it seems like, you know, through, through, you know, sometimes when we make big decisions, we kind of think, okay, God is going to immediately bless this where we're expressing faith in this. And then uh, everything's mm-hmm. going to fall in line and then it's going to be really seamless. And we're going to see God work and everything. And you guys made this decision, trust of the Lord. And then, you know, mm-hmm. this tornado happens. Mm-hmm. So it kind of bring us back to before, you know, you guys were doing the traditional dairy farming and, and then now you've made this, tri- you know, transition and bring us through the whole process. Sure. Well, we've always been a very, um, <clears throat> been very skeptical of uh, subsidies and, ag- and and government's tentacles that are in agriculture. And, and for those I that don't know, just, could you just explain somehow that just the basics of how that works sure um okay the basics we could we could talk for days about this but i'll I'll say this okay government involvement in agriculture has gone has gone back really since the civil war um abe lincoln uh he he was the first first president who appointed a and, and made the cabinet position of secretary of agriculture and it was based on this idea of we got to teach farmers how to be better farmers. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so at first, you know, everything that happens, government stepped in and took the role of fatherhood, took the role of mentorship, took the role of priest and said, we're going to be, we're going to be your educators now for agriculture. So it started out that way. And then it moved towards, we're going to start to influence what you grow by uh, and how you grow it by, uh, you know, that, that carrot. It was always the carrot of a little bit of money. We're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to provide this. Um, After, after world war II, um, it just, it just exploded. Mm. And uh, so there became more and more, um, programs that you could sign up for the USDA grew larger and larger and uh, you started reporting your crops and you started. So, so when I started farming, the USDA office FSA, we call them now farm service agency was kind of just this, they were there, but they weren't, they weren't overbearing, you Mm -hmm. know, Uh, 1985, the first farm bill that came across uh, the president's desk, uh, president Ronald Reagan, had a lot of conservation uh they called the conservation titles and there was what they called the swamp buster and the sod buster and that was when they first really said okay you can't do something with this land you can do something with that land uh crp came out of that um you know all hunters love crp because hey we got all these acres now that just got native grass growing on them and we can see the deer we can see the pheasant and uh uh again it was it was uh government's influence um putting their thumb on the scale so mm-hmm. to speak um moving forward to now uh 1985 was also the first dairy herd buyout where we had too much they were they had in the 70s they had subsidized the uh the production of milk so much mm-hmm. that we were storing milk in 
caves in Kansas City, Missouri, and down around Springfield, and billions and billions of pounds. The government would buy it, stick it there, and that's where so the that's that government is. cheese thing that Ian was talking government about. Government cheese. Yep, mm -hmm. that's where the government cheese came from. And that was all because government got in there and said, "Oh, you poor dairy farmers, you're getting, you know, you're getting screwed over here." So we're going to make up for your loss over here. Well, then we flooded the market and we just exacerbated a problem that the market would have taken care of in a couple of years. And instead, it has, uh, you know, it's it just perpetuated itself. Uh, when I started farming in 1992, or uh, yeah, 1992, we had about 130,000 dairy farmers in the United States. Today, we have about 29,000. In the United States, of those 29,000, 500 of them produce 34% of the milk. That's My gosh. Made in the United States. The industry's so, been decimated. Yeah, the industry. So, so uh, government has done that. They, you know, ethanol, uh, everybody talks about ethanol as being this great thing. Understand, ethanol wouldn't be here without government mandates. If they didn't tell you you had to have it in gasoline, I'm not saying ethanol is bad. I don't buy into the whole thing. It's going to ruin your car and all that. But as a market force, it has, it has, it, it wouldn't have been available without government saying you must use it. Mm -hmm. So any, so that's how government's gotten involved in agriculture. In the last few years with the dairy industry, they've come forward and have said, uh, yeah, we, so, so, so like with the ethanol, they got in there, they said ethanol, price of corn has shot up. Now it was, it was artificially low, you know, so mm -hmm. government made a problem and then government made a solution. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them, if government had just stayed out of the way, neither one of them would have been an issue. Right. Um, so, so they came forward and they says, oh, well, everything is out of whack. Feed costs are too high. So we're going to start sending dairy farmers a check and it's going to be based on this formula. They don't even get the formula right because they don't have enough money and uh so they they got to find a way to cheapen it up for themselves and uh you know so so over the last three four years started just before the pandemic and then it's expanded of course you know they're just they're just sending dairy farmers a check every month hmm. uh and it, it varies you never know what it's going to be they've got a formula and whatnot so last month a lot of my friends that are still commercial dairy when they said about about a third of their income came straight to them in a form of a, a direct deposit from farm service agency. Wow. Um, now, before everybody beats up on the farmer, understand that that makes your cost of milk at the store 50% less mm -hmm. because otherwise the farmer has to get that money from somewhere. We're still yeah. in business and they still have to have income that covers their expenses. So, so it while while the farmers cash in the check, everybody down the line is gaining benefit as mm -hmm. well. Gotcha. You know, so so don't think it's just so know, that's the pressure people. of why they feel like I've got to take this. Because if you don't, then what do you do? And that's right. what you're like if if you produce something at 30% under cost and sell it, how long do you produce that? At mm -hmm. some point in time, the you know, you don't have any equity left. Uh, you can't go to the bank and borrow any money and, you know, with the hope of a brighter day down the road, mm -hmm. it, you're done. And, uh, and we have seen that uh, for, you know, just when you look at my career from 130,000 dairy farmers to, to less than 30,000, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when I started, the average farm had about 60 cows on it. Now the average farm has about 380 cows. on it. My so, gosh. so, you know, uh, it's the the tentacles of the government and the the solutions that they provide are um, always always half measures. They're never they're never good enough. So uh, so you know that's a very brief and it's not exhaustive. And if there's other farmers listening, they're going to go, "Oh, you forgot this and forgot that." And I'm mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this you know we aren't we aren't going into uh, this isn't this isn't a seven hundred course, you know, uh, but. I have always felt I've always felt bad about taking subsidies. So I'm going to I'm be honest with you. Yeah, I've taken a lot of farm subsidies over the years. Um, just had to, to be mm -hmm. real honest with you, or felt like I had to. And about a year and a well, a couple of years ago, I met this guy, Jared Sparks. And uh, then he told me about these guys down in Springfield at Hope Baptist Church. And I get down there 
for for Christians of Christendom 2.0 conference. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to these guys that are talking about uh, medical mandates and they're talking about all these things and, and how we need to reclaim things for Christ. And I'm on this move from this, um, I won't say pre-mill in the classical term, because I never, I never was a hundred percent pre-mill because I could never make all the dots connect, but mm -hmm. those are the types of churches I grew up in. But I'm on this move and I'm like reading all this stuff and I'm going like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. This makes sense. And I'm getting into this post-mill theology. And the thing that keeps just beating down on me is, is Psalms 110 verse 1. Yeah, Sit at my right hand while I make your enemies my footstool. And I mm -hmm. really delved into what was the enemies of Christ. And, and I was looking at it for me. Because I'm like, you know, I was once the enemy of Christ through mm -hmm. his grace. I've been saved and brought forth that. But I was like, but I always have to bring my uh, myself into submission because mm -hmm. there's still times that enemy rises up in me. And uh, and one of the things that just beat me up was, uh, who are you dependent on mm -hmm. in my farming career? Who are you dependent on? Who are you dependent on? And I was dependent on the bank and I was dependent on the government. And I was, you know, and I mean, you know, I'd sit in front of the bank every year for my operating loan and I'd pray in the office or, you know, in the parking lot, my pickup, Lord, I need this operating note. Give me this opera. And I walk in and I get this operating. Note. And then I'd have a burden for a year of, mm -hmm. of how am I going to pay this back? I just borrowed all this money. And, um, and I kept thinking, you know, why is, in all honesty, why is God's blessing a burden? Mm -hmm. well, you know, and I was, and I was like, and I would go to the FSA office and I'd sign up for the year's programs and tell them what I planted, tell them what I got for yield. And I'd get my crop insurance stuff all in line. I did all that stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, why is this blessing such a burden? And I'm a little thick headed, you know? So <laughs> finally, finally about after, after COVID, God goes, uh, maybe it's because everything you're calling blessing isn't, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, oh, wait, but everybody does this, you know? I never wore the mask, but, you know, I understood everybody say, you know, walk around going, well, everybody wears the mask. Mm -hmm. And and it just, it just was like this, this, I don't know, this light bulb or, or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And I was like, okay, God's blessings aren't a burden. So everything that I am calling a blessing is it, it's burning me. It gets back to that's probably the enemy of God. Mm -hmm. And I and it got to me where I was thinking, okay, an enemy of God is somebody who depends on somebody else. Jeremiah, I think it's 179, something like that, says uh, you know, uh brings forward, I don't have the verse in front of me, and, and I apologize, but it, it's those who trust in man and man's right arm, you know, are the enemies of God, basically. And I kept thinking, everything I do in agriculture depends on some guy, some bureaucrat, some dairy co-op employee that's, you know, has no no information or, or desire to make my life better just to keep their job. Mm -hmm. And so I said, that's all the people I depend on. Mm -hmm. So, uh Last summer, we're just going through some things, and I'm like, God, I, I just need, I need to come up with some other way. And then in the fall of last last fall, um, every year or every three years, your dairy co-op comes out and has for the last 20 years. They come around with this survey that you have to fill out if you're going to keep selling milk to them, and they, it's called the you know, it's called the farm program. It stands for Farmers Assuring Responsible Management. Nobody cares about this. When you go buy your gallon of milk, you know, they tell you all the, all the customers want this. You go to ask some farmer or some, some average consumer and they're going like, I just care about milk on a shelf. Yeah. You know, right. right. So they're asking me all these questions and the questions are like, how many gallons of diesel fuel do you use a year? How many, how many shots do you give your cows? Uh, antibiotics, vaccines, all this stuff. And I'm going, you know, I don't understand why I have to answer any of these questions. Mm -hmm. And I, I had this really, this auditor is sitting there and now they're going like, Hey, anytime a third party auditor can come on your farm. 
And I'm talking to the guy and I said, you know, I says, this is all God's here. I literally said this to him. This is, this guy is just, he's just like mouth open, agape. I go, if God wants me to keep this dairy farm, I'm going to keep this dairy farm. If God doesn't want me to keep this dairy farm, I'm going to lose this dairy farm. I says, I produce God, I produce milk on two, two basic principles. Now, I've never said this to anybody else before in my life. Mm-hmm. It's just like, where's this coming from? <laughs> I, says, I produce milk because I love my God and I use my gifts that he gave me mm-hmm. to produce milk. And I says, and I produce quality milk because I love my name. And I, and all of a sudden, I'm like, well, those are the two greatest commandments. Yeah, that's great. In the and I'm, I'm, he's sitting here, and he's just like, okay. I never heard I never heard anybody, what's God got to do with milk and cows? You know, he, <laughs> he's, he's just flabbergasted. And I start going through all this stuff. And I said, this is just government intrusion. And, and, and I finally, I looked at him, and I said, this is a voluntary program, right? He goes, yeah, this is voluntary. I said, well, okay, I'm not doing it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not awesome. doing it. And he goes, well, if it's voluntary, but if you don't do it, you can't sell milk to us. And I was like, you have a different definition of voluntary than I do. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know what? That's fine. He says, well, you have till January 1st to uh, make up your mind. This was in October. And I says, well, I says, I don't think my mind's going to change between me and now and January 1st. We have that discussion. And then that night I have to tell my wife, yeah. oh, by the way, we just lost our milk. <laughs> market and i don't know how we're going to pay all your bills and uh so that was in october and things kind of came to a head in the end of november they wouldn't pick up that milk anymore. i wouldn't sign i wouldn't i would keep completing steps mm-hmm. so we were milking 70 cows at the time selling about four thousand pounds of milk a day we sell milk by the pound not by the gallon off the farm so that's okay. that's about 500 roughly 500 gallons of milk a day I got no place to go with. Uh, got mortgage bills, so we started selling some cows, paying some bills down. I went to town. Uh, I actually started working with my son at the electricians. I used to work a lot of construction, so it's kind of easy for me to walk into. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, "Okay, God, this is up to you." And and we we floundered. I mean, we did. We just were like, I don't know what to do. I don't mm-hmm. build milking cows running all the milk down the tank. I'm barely making my payments. Like I'm just, you know, just barely keeping alive. Hmm. And uh, we get to April and uh, God gives me a verse uh, through my son out in Kansas, who was a welder. He says, I just saw this verse on a co-ops trucks. And I looked it up and he says, you should read. Now I've read this verse before, but you know how it is. It's Mm -hmm. just, there's verses and then there's like these filler verses in between the verses and you uh-huh. just never pay attention to them. But it was second Corinthians nine, 10. It says, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and uh, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have, uh, you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. That's second Corinthians nine, 10. And I just grabbed a hold of that verse and I says, God's going to provide. And I said, this is what I want to do. I just wanted to be dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be dependent upon man. And uh, so I'm all excited. I'm pumped. We're getting this plan together. We've we've got a good Christian brother uh, who we've who's who's been in this direct marketing of agriculture. We've we've tapped into him, hired him as a consultant, and and we're getting a plan together. We've got a mission statement. We've got the sales goals. I mean. We're making labels. Hey, this is how we're going to sell our milk. And we're, you know, getting ready to make a, a website. We're getting all this stuff together. So uh, this is just after the last uh, conference down there in, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Springfield. And I'm just, I feel pumped after that. I, you know, I'm just encouraged. And we're moving forward. And we've got a date of May 30th. We're going to start selling milk to the public. Uh First weekend of May, we go out to see my son, Jared, and our daughter-in-law, Grace, and our, the grandbaby, uh, Mabel, and waiting for the second daughter. <clears throat> We're talking about all this stuff on the way home that Saturday, May 6th, and uh, driving driving down Highway 36. Really just excited. Here's my wife and I. You know, we've been married for almost 30 years, and, and we got this like new pep. We got this new idea. 
And uh, my two boys were at home taking care of the cattle and, and all the stuff that needed my oldest son, Jeff, and my youngest son, Jordan. And uh, Jeff calls me and he says, hey, we're under a tornado watch. And I go, oh, well, hey, have a good time. Yeah, Done. right. No big deal. Whatever. Whatever. We, we've been there through. And we're driving and we're about an hour and a half away from home. And the road is just the, the highway that we're on is just six miles south of our home. And I'm looking off to the, to the east and I'm going, man, that's a big cloud up there. Mm -hmm. We could see it. And it's about 830 at night. My boys call me up. My son, Jeff, he calls me up. And he goes, hey, we're headed to the basement. This is bad. And I go, oh, well, pretty windy, probably. Mm hmm. We get home about 10 o'clock and seven of our nine buildings are laying on themselves and scattered across 40 acres. Our house is still standing, but the windows are broke out on the, on the west side. Uh, the siding is off the house on three sides. Somehow the roof stayed on. Um, the, only, the only building that is like, like nearly completely intact is our milking parlor where we mm -hmm. actually milk the cows mm -hmm. but all the other buildings are pushed up against it. Now I'm only milking 10 cows at the time. So, you know, we've gone from milking 70 down to 10. Um, but all the buildings are laying against the opening to get in there and milk and milk where we milk our cows, get the cows into the building. Mm -hmm. It took us three days with two skid loaders and a mini excavator to move all the buildings so that we could get the cows in to milk them. Wow. Uh, of course we lost all our power uh the, the main poles uh we lost our skid loader we lost our tractor we lost all our hay equipment uh my pickup the boys were like oh it looks like it's going to hail so they pulled all of our pickups into one of the machinery sheds because we don't we don't have a garage and then that building fell on all of our pickups oh you know? my gosh and uh just it just was you know I, be real honest not a real emotional guy but the next morning my wife and i are out we're looking at the barn and i said i'm i'm just weeping i go mm -hmm. I, and i'm like brutal like i don't i don't know what to do i don't know what to do and my wife says to me why did god allow this to happen and something had happened to me a few years ago where god said stop blaming mm -hmm. this and, and and you know and everybody all the neighbors all we feel like joe and i was almost angry indignant about this i was like this is all that stuff that happened to Job happened to Job. The neighbors mm -hmm. didn't get hit by the whirlwind. The they didn't come and steal. You know, the marauding people didn't come and steal the neighbors' camels. It was all all that stuff. The neighbors didn't lose their ten children. Mm -hmm. All that stuff happened to Job. We're just this is just part of a fallen world. I can remember saying to my neighbor, "This is just us living in a fallen world. Don't blame God for this." Mm -hmm. And I said, "That's what everybody's doing here is blaming God." I said. That's wrong. That's blasphemous to God. God didn't do this. Yes, he could have stopped it, but this is just the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. And, and yet at the same time, I'm broken. I'm like, mm -hmm. God, I'm out here walking this path. I think I'm doing the right thing. I don't know what else can happen. I don't know what else I can do. We're just getting ready to plant crops here. All my tractors are destroyed. And then, you know, God just, he works it out. Mm -hmm. and uh it hasn't been easy <laughs> we haven't had enough money <laughs> you know there, there's been there's been no golden angels flying along keeping mm -hmm. my spirits lifted or anything i mean I, it just has been what it's been but yeah we're we're what five months past that and my son my youngest son and i were talking this weekend we cleaned up a bunch more i mean we still got buildings laying in piles we're still cleaning up wow. but we're pretty close to having them all cleaned up and uh, I said to him, I said, you know, when you think about it, five months ago, did you really think we could be here? Mm -hmm. Oh, dad, I did. Well, wow. That's just us staying at. Mm -hmm. yeah. there, we had we had great help from our church for about three days. And, you know, everybody's got a light. Mm -hmm. They can't be here all the time doing stuff. And, uh, you know, God's been faithful. He hasn't made it easy, though. Yeah, and, right. And, and he hasn't. And it, and there's been enough, but there hasn't been any extra. And, uh, you know, we're getting through it. So we're kind of enjoying that and, uh, still wondering, you know, I mean, there's always that little thing in the back of your mind going, um, I guess that's what I've learned about faith is it's, it's not about the circumstances and it's mm -hmm. not about what I see. It's <clears throat> that 
even in the moments that I don't see it, God's still yeah. doing something and he's still working and we're still moving forward. And yeah. so we, we held off for a couple months, but when we started direct selling our milk in July to consumers and uh, we're working really hard to make that happen. And that's mm -hmm. been, you know, that's, that's, so I went from making a commodity to making a food product now. Yeah. So right. I was right. All I did was I made the milk, put it on a truck and it left. I didn't mm -hmm. care. Now and you're now, making milk and selling milk. Yep. And, and so you, you do a subscription service basically where people will subscribe and you deliver it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, uh, we have a website. It's nourishingfamilyfarm.com. And of course, you know, milk is not a, you don't sell it to people in, you know, New York state or, you know, it, you're depending on your local community. Yeah, it's got to be all local, right? Yeah. So we make, we, we sell uh, uh, raw milk. It's on pasteurized, perfectly healthy. Okay. If you don't believe it's perfectly healthy, that's fine. But just understand you believe the lie of the government. Yeah, just read a little bit. It takes you yeah. about, you know, 30 minutes to figure out, wait a minute, the government's pulling pulling a fast one on us again. Yeah. And uh, then we also um, sell cream uh, that we separate here on the farm for your coffee, for, um, you know, making whipped cream or butter if you want to make it. We do sell butter and, and cheese curds uh, as well. Uh, so it's basically my wife and I, and uh, she does the milk deliveries, uh, goes to different towns on different days of the week and drops off, you know, people come to see her and we sell our milk there. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so again, but you know, people, it is expensive. I you know, gladly tell people that, yeah, it seems like it's expensive. It's 1250 gallons, but I don't take any government subsidies. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting, I'm, 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 I am, I'm the most honest person in, or one of the most honest people in the dairy industry. This is what it costs. Mm -hmm. You go. You know, and and you're being honest, saying I'm paying the full freight on the food uh, that I uh, provide for my family, mm -hmm. and so we've it's so I went from being a commodity producer to a food producer, and that has been. I mean, the, I'm 51, and I feel like I've learned more in the last year than I have in the first 50. Yeah, it's just yeah. I just like wow. Well, I love I love the story. I think it it will resonate with people as they hear this because we're wanting to do things in a way that honors the lord the most and these incentives that the government give i mean these are they're everywhere where if you just you know maybe it's just the way you've always lived and maybe you know your situation might be a little bit different but if there's something that just kind of just gnaws at you why why is this the way it is you know this has cost you a lot to make this transition and yet uh you did it uh, out of principle out of a desire to honor the lord and depend mm -hmm. on him and it's not, it's, it's not, uh, like I said, to, to begin at the beginning, it's not like everything has been perfect since you made this decision. There's been challenges along the way, but, um, you know, I think when you've make, made decisions like you've made, you probably can sleep well at night knowing um, we're doing what we're doing, uh, because we want to honor the Lord. And Christy's been right on board with this. It seems like, mm -hmm. and, and the, oh, yeah. the milk and the cheese and all that we've had it all. It's great. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. seeing, seeing you guys come through and, you finally mm -hmm. made it after the 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 tire or the breakdown after your starter went out or whatever, but we finally got yeah. to spend some time with you and yeah. we really enjoyed the milk, really enjoyed the cheese. It was just really it was great. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. um, so that's one of the that's one of the neat things about what we've done is it just it, it's it's brought us together as a couple. Yeah, this is awesome. this is this is her and I's passion. Now, she, she you know your wife will always sit there and go how you know. How do we pay all the bills? Because <laughs> I'm looking at this. <laughs> yeah. We're trusting like, the Lord, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's like, well, I have to market the milk and I have to sell the milk because, you know, that's how because I'm still working full time in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's like, how do I do? And I feel such a weight. And and for me, that's something I have to take off her. But she's she's doing a phenomenal job. I mean, awesome. it's, this, this is, you know, this is what God, you know, that home economy, you know, we you you know, there's that Instagram farm. This, this mm -hmm. everything picture perfect. Yeah, nothing's yeah, right. picture perfect here. We have lots of problems. Oh, you spilled yeah. the milk, and yeah. now you're really crying because you spilled the milk. Yeah, can't well, put it back in the jug. It sounds like you're still in the same spot, though. If if God wants us to keep this, then we will. And if if He has other plans for us, then we follow those plans. 
but what a great place to be, even though it can be difficult is you're just, I mean, literally in a place of dependency and trust in the Lord. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's uh, an incredible thing. And uh, you, you've got, so let's switch again and uh, we'll kind of switch gears and kind of bring things to a close here. Cause you know, I love the content, but you're actually working on something because uh, you've got a lot to offer when it comes to just, you know, what you've experienced over the last 20, 30 years and knowing the industry and our good buddy, Ian, Ian's got so many good things to say as well about farming. And, you know, he, he does this not in, in the scale that you do, but he does kind of a smaller family farm kind of thing. And know some of the ins and outs of all this kind of thing as well. And you guys are, I've actually been working together and talking about possibly doing a podcast together. So I'd love to hear about that. And mm-hmm. I, I know a little bit of details, but I think there's probably more that I've not heard yet. And uh, for the for those folks that are listening and thinking, that, man, this is interesting. Tell us about what you got going on, what you guys are thinking through and where, where they could find it. Mm-hmm. Well, Ian Garris and Jonathan Augustine are two guys that we met down there at Holt. And, uh, uh, they both have uh, varied backgrounds, uh, as I do, but we're all really into agriculture and want to see the kingdom of God move forward and good food produced for good for God's good people. And uh, we look at agriculture and, you know, the three of us kind of come from these different perspectives. And we look at agriculture, we go, there's things wrong with agriculture that need Christian influence to change mm-hmm. that. And so as we've talked and talked and talked, and we've been talking about this for about six months now. Hey, nobody in this space, uh, John Moody does a wonderful job, good Christian mm-hmm. brother. Um, Joel Salatin, another good Christian brother. But they're kind of, they're niche, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're not talking about, uh, and because they don't have time, it's no slam on them. But they're not talking about the overarching principles. And so we started talking about this thing, and then we coined the frames, phrase, uh, reformed agrarianism yeah and i like so, that so we said you know what are we going to do and then you know uh those guys down who uh at hope you know it's it's uh bless it baptize it or damn it type things <laughs> and uh so we're, we're looking at these things and say what in agriculture can we bless what do we need to take that's a good idea but not done for the right reasons and baptize it and then what do we have to tell people you know this needs to be thrown off and, and damned to hell because it's just wrong Mm-hmm. And uh, so out of that, and out of this, uh, the three of us had this kind of text group going and talking about stuff. Uh, one day goes Ian says, you know, nobody's talking about this in the public square. We should start to do that. And so we we were like, well, how do we do this? And, you know, blog back and forth. And then uh, went down there in April and, and sat down. We had a little meeting after the conference there. and We kind of landed on this idea of, well, maybe we should do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, uh, then I had a tornado and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, uh, everybody else is like, yeah, this is getting crazy. John's moving. And, you know, so we've been held off a little ways and we're, we're hoping here in the early part of winter that we're going to get together and get this started because we feel like it's something that needs to be brought forward. Yeah. So that the consumer can understand buy good food. Mm-hmm. And why yeah, you need seriously. Food. It's uh, critical. Yeah. It, you know, who are you going to depend on? Because if, if COVID didn't t- teach you anything, it should have taught you that they're going to control your life. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to move outside of that? You know, we have all these discussions about parallel economy and I never hear anybody talk about food production. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, yeah, we got to have this cottage industry, you know, whether it's metalworking, welding, electrician, your local mechanic, a midwife. I, I hear all that stuff and I go, but if you still depend on them for food, mm-hmm. you're ultimately dependent. You know, that's that's how Gideon, you know, he was called a man, mighty man of valor when he just stopped taking the food from the Midianites. That yeah. was that was when he was told called him. He, he said, I'm going to take responsibility for my family. And so that's what we want to do with this podcast is kind of bring forward that. So it's not just how to how to milk a cow and how to raise a pig and why you should want to do those things, but also yeah. who are you dependent on? Yeah, you know? that's really good. I mean, when it comes to food, and I know these guys have had these conversations as well, but from from seed oils all the way up to everything that's being handed to us, and you get given the stamp of approval by the government, they're making us fat, sick, 
and then mm-hmm. medicating us after that. And it's this whole yeah. thing that's tied con- connected together that just pre government interference and COVID stuff, you know, 19 or 2019 that I would have been like, eh, I don't know about all that where now, you know, things all come together and the 3d picture is made clear and you realize, wait a minute, this is, they're, they're literally doing this to us. The, the food right. production is killing us. It is making us sick. It is making us fat. And, and so it's critical. And so I hope you guys do it. I hope you guys get this thing going, get the ball rolling. I'll be the first listener, first, you know, reviewer. Yep. Hey, great yep. podcast, great show. I can't wait. Yep. So yep. please, you know, get that thing going and uh, light a fire under those guys. And, you mm-hmm. know, it, down there in Hope, it's not like they need a fire lit under them and they're always doing something, yep. right? But, right. Uh, yep. but man, yep. it's, it's good stuff. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. JR, it's been great. I really appreciate your time. And mm-hmm. I know you're going right after this and you're going to milk some cows. And yep. if you're in that Missouri area and you're listening in and you're in the radius of delivery, make sure and sign up and get some milk from from their farm. And uh, tell us again the website, and then I'll put that in the show notes. Nourishingfamilyfarm.com. Awesome. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jared. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Jared. Appreciate all your work and, and great podcast. I've just enjoyed it. Well, yep. thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.